0: Al Jazeera Podcasts. Today, a look at the nail-biting wins and devastating defeats at the Africa Cup of Nations.
1: It's my favorite tournament. Every two years when it comes around, <laughs> I just stop. I work, but I sort of stop and find a way to watch like, literally every game.
0: I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. This Sunday brings the final match of the Africa Cup of Nations. But the game that's on many people's minds and lips happened on Wednesday between South Africa and Nigeria.
1: I would say for a team of locally based players to take on a team of Nigeria with all that talent of mostly players who play in the world's top leagues in Europe... We didn't embarrass ourselves. We made it, so I'm happy. I'm quite happy.
0: That's Sean Jacobs. He's not just a South Africa football fan. He's also the founder of the website Africa is a Country and a professor of international affairs at the New School in New York City. So, Sean, let's talk about AFCON, the Africa Cup of Nations, semifinals just finished. And yet a quick scroll through my socials, show me lots of people are still talking about a match from Wednesday between Nigeria and South Africa. 20
1: minutes, penalties will determine who goes through to the final. It was it
0: a game where you out. are on the edge of your seat until the last second. Tell me about that game, your reaction to it, and why people are still talking about it now.
1: So, I mean, as everybody knows, I'm South African. So obviously, um, I had a stake in this game. And I think the game mattered because, on the one hand, you had you had Africa's kind of superpower, Nigeria, with some of the best footballers playing in some of the best leagues in Europe. The South African team consisted mostly of players who play in local leagues in South Africa, so it was kind of like the giants of Africa against sort of an unfancy team. I also think that the the South Africans we had just you know taken <laughs> Israel to the to the International Court of Justice.
0: At the United Nations highest court, Israel stands accused of carrying out genocide in Gaza. South Africa has filed a 84-page document with the International Court of Justice in The Hague.
1: And we had sort of won some kind of moral victory there. So South Africa's riding a wave. And just being in, in, in the match, I think how I felt at the beginning, I mean, I was realistic. Um, I expected South Africa to, to play well. But I thought we would be overwhelmed by by the Nigerians, and and as the game progressed, I felt a little better because we were basically playing better. Nigeria came across as lethargic, kind of unimaginative, and the longer we played, the stronger we got. So I thought, you know, perhaps we have another upset because they got a penalty. There was, I think, about 30 minutes left, and with five minutes to go, they scored a goal. VAR called it back.
0: Like maybe a, pe- a possible penalty there for, for South Africa
1: in the box. Yeah, this is going all the way back. Penalty yeah. to South Africa. Yeah, clear clear penalty. 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 We got a penalty. In the 90th minute, McElroy strikes firm, He strikes two. Made it 1-1. And I think I was actually at work watching it with some <laughs> colleagues. We had kind of commandeered a, a conference room. And everybody was sort of looking at me like, "What?" I don't think they'd seen that side of me. <laughs> what? What? What is that I'm side? Sort of, of screaming, you know, uh, also like willing us to win, but also talking <laughs> myself into defeat.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: in in case we lose, right. these are the reasons mm-hmm. why we why are we losing. Yep. But I think when the match ended, I I was proud, but I was also exhausted. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we, you know, we're also like Nigeria. We're we're kind of a. a very loud, confident <laughs> nation who think we should lead the continent. There's also a certain kind of exceptionalism mm-hmm. that goes with being South Africa, being South African. Um, but yeah, just proud and exhausted. So some something is, I don't know, football does that. Yeah,
0: yeah I think it does, which explains this outswelling of support we saw. South Africa was sort of the people's team in this. But to avid football watchers, It is probably safe to say that few would have bet on South Africa's team making it to the semifinals. As you mentioned, they don't have internationally recognized players. They haven't qualified for the World Cup, which is the pinnacle of success for a national team, arguably, in more than two decades. And of course, that doesn't include 2010 when they got automatic qualification as the host country. But then Wednesday comes and they are out on that pitch against Nigeria, one of Africa's top teams holding their own. Tell me about the team. What should we know about them and how they got this far?
1: So, as you said, South Africa, by some estimates, it's, it's you know, glass half full. Mm. We've, most countries would kill to be to have gone to the World Cup twice, to qualify for the World Cup twice. We did it on our first try in 98, right after we got our independence. We did it at the subsequent World Cup in, 20, in 2002 in Japan and Korea. And then after that, we never qualified except the fact that we hosted in 2010. So there was this sense that South African football had declined, you know, that we couldn't compete at that at that level. And so going into the tournament, many of the South African players, the players who play in the South African team in the tournament, they play in the South African league. And this was said to, like, count against you at AFCON, at the African Cup of Nations. And usually in African football, coaches pick players who play in Europe, and then also players who've represented, say, England, France, especially the Netherlands, uh, Belgium at youth level. And, of course, that makes sense. They have better training, better coaching. They have access to uh, better infrastructure than they have on the continent. The South African players all played for the same club, mm. which is called Sundowns. And if you, if you follow African football, this team um, – can you hold on because my cat <laughs> is in the room. I don't know how she got in here. <laughs> sure. And I have to get her out of here because he's playing.
0: Sean I, I may be in him. New York, no. but his heart no, is can't. still in South Africa. <laughs> okay. That even came through when we were interrupted by his cats, named See. after two songs from the world famous South African musician Miriam Makeba. What's your cat's name?
1: Uh, Pata. What does that mean? It's like, you know, like Pata, Pata, oh, Pata. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Miriam Makeba, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have another cat. It was called Malika, which is also <laughs> from Maria Makeba. Anyway, so the, 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 let me let me start where I said something about Sundowns. Yeah, what I think the South Africans they were onto something because eight of the South African team they play for this one club, Sundowns. And if you know African football, then you know that Sundowns are giants. They've won the the African Champions League. They're the only club from the from southern part of the continent who have actually won this tournament in recent times. So, that I think in itself was a good thing. Secondly, most of the players um, know each other. As I said, most coaches rely on on players who play in Europe. They they come together like a week or two before the tournament. Mm -hmm. They have to get to know each other while playing together. Well, these players from South Africa They always play together. And I think the last one, which is the South African Domestic League, is like one of the best in Africa. It's very competitive. It's well organized. And if you're a South African player, you actually don't have to leave South Africa. You know, you can play for a South African club instead of going to play, say, in Cyprus, Turkey, Belgium, which are the kind of clubs that you would see on the rosters of all these other uh, national teams in the tournament. And so in the end, I think those are for me the reasons why South Africa did well.
0: After the break, a silent protest by players from the DRC and why we didn't see more politics showing up at the pitch. Before we get back to our episode, I want to tell you about a project our team has been working on. This week on The Take, we're marking one year since a pair of devastating earthquakes hit Turkey and Syria with a new digital interactive. Listen and watch stories of survival, recovery, and coping with the grief at aljazeera.com forward slash earthquakes. Again, that's aljazeera.com forward slash earthquakes. Now, back to the show. So, Sean, let's then take stock of where we are right now. Some might call this a tournament of upsets, starting with the host country, Ivory Coast, which has made it to the finals, but not without losing a few key matches along the way. What has that path been like for them? And what is significant about that team?
1: If you if you have a tournament, um, any tournament, what you want to do is you want the host to do well. Mm. Because otherwise, the the stadiums start to clear out and the locals, they lose interest. And so for Cote d'Ivoire... They started like a house on fire. <laughs> they won their first game. <laughs> Into the back of the net, doubling the score for uh, Corte Blas. They are roaring at the end of the opening game at the Africa Cup of Nations. I think it was 2-0. Um, but then you played three group games and they lost the next two group games. First to Nigeria and then to Equatorial Guinea. And the Equatorial Guinea game, they lost like 4-0. So... They were they were obviously going to be knocked out of the competition, and they only made it um, as one of the. There were four teams outside the teams who automatically qualified for the round of sixteen. There were four best third place teams, and they made it as one of those teams. And so there was a lot of you know a gnashing of teeth. If you if you saw videos circulating uh, or news reports, you may have seen you know uh, Ivorians coming out of the stadium crying, <laughs> being frustrated. What the federation did was they fired the coach. He's from France.
0: The Ivory Coast have sacked their coach, Jean-Louis Gasset, midway through the tournament.
1: And it was quite dramatic. It was unprecedented. You don't do that uh, in the middle of a tournament. It's also sort of a sign of chaos. And as a host, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't inspire confidence. Mm -hmm. The weird thing is it actually had the opposite effect. They picked like one of the assistant coaches. He had very little uh, experience as a coach. He took over the team. And then since then, they beat Senegal with the champions in the last tournament. They beat Mali um, in the the quarterfinals by scoring a goal in the last minute of regulation. And you can imagine how this just kind of built up for like a a country. And if you saw the scenes after uh, the match on Wednesday, when they won against the Congo to go to the final against Nigeria. Ball in here, chance for number two! Tight angle! The hosts are into the final. Côte it shows you, particularly in a country like Cote d'Ivoire, which had a history of uh, civil war in which there are questions around, you know, the notion of like who's Ivoirian a national identity and to see this kind of like what the tournament I think has done for a place like that is to contribute to its national unity. Mm-hmm. For many of these players, particularly the players from the diaspora, it means a lot to go play in AFCON. Mm. You're playing for the national team, you're, you you are know, when you play in Europe, it's very lonely. So when you come back to the continent, whatever gets into your parts, a coach being fired in the middle of the tournament often Um, it it can't put you off this this quest to win this elusive thing called the African Cup of Nations.
0: So, Sean, I want to linger on that match just a little because in that last match to get to the finals, Ivory Coast played the Democratic Republic of Congo. And while the DRC may have lost, they left an impression. During their national anthem, some players staged a protest. They covered their mouths with one hand, and they held up their other hands in the symbol of a gun, and they're drawing attention to the fighting in the eastern part of their country. How else has politics showed up on the pitch in this tournament? Because that's not unique.
1: The interesting thing is I expected there to be a lot more politics. I think there was a section of a crowd that displayed uh, Palestinian flags in one of the group games by some North African fans, but for some reason... You didn't see much uh, protests with, with, within the tournament. FIFA clamps down a lot on on players expressing, you know, any political uh, or religious symbols, um, or or making any protests.
0: All these European teams are pulled out from wearing these armbands to show their solidarity for LGBTQ rights at the last minute because FIFA had suggested that the captains would be penalised and maybe even potentially get a yellow card.
1: It doesn't mean that players haven't done so, but it's very rare these days to get footballers to express themselves politically. You saw it in the Asian Cup with the Palestinian footballers.
0: A moment of silence in memory of the tragic lives lost as a result of the ongoing situation in Palestine.
1: But uh, for some reason in this African tournament, there's been very little expression about politics on the field.
0: So, Sean, what are you looking forward to in the finals?
1: I mean, I, throughout this tournament, I have this sort of irrational, uh, well, for me, it's irrational, <laughs> I have this wager, which I I root for countries that are if they're more democratic. <laughs> and so I think this one is a tough one. You know, both both uh, Nigeria and, uh, and, and Cote d'Ivoire are democracies. Mm-hmm. The thing I, th- I mean, it's a great final. You have Africa's best player against the host nation. In fact, um, Osinem. Who's, who, who runs the front line for Nigeria? He plays for Napoli, and he had just been voted Africa's best player. Wow! You know that's what you want when you do like a final of a tournament mm-hmm. like this. Nigeria favourites, I think that's clear. They've already beat they already beat uh, Cote d'Ivoire. The score was, I think, one 0 but it was very clear that they dominated that match. They were very slick. They've also f- sort of, in some way, finally figured out how to get the best out of the out of the football of all these players who play everywhere else in Europe. Um, So I think Nigeria is going to win. Nigerians are very good with the banter online. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be unbearable.
0: It's already started.
1: The (laughs) the TikToks, the reels. Yeah, it's already started. But Côte d'Ivoire has also shown something else, which is in this tournament, a game is not over until the referee blew the whistle at the last Mm. minute. So I can't give up on Côte d'Ivoire. They've shown that they deserve, they, they got together, and they, after some disappointment in the earlier part of the tournament, so you know, both teams. I wish them well, but my suspicion is Nigeria. Nigeria is gonna gonna win.
0: And that's the take. This episode was produced by Chloe Kaylee and Faranisa Campana. Was Zaina Sonia Bagad, David Enders, Sariel Khalili, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Nikin Oliayi. Khalid Sultan, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. The Take's executive producer is Alexandra Locke, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.